And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, made and angry. Hear that co-host shouting, it's Dander and Jay. All right, welcome in to hear that podcast. Growlin, Pauliner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on an off day for the Bengals on Thursday uh, as they take a little 24-hour hiatus from camp and get right back to it this weekend. Jay, how we doing? Doing well. Always appreciate an off day. But it's not really. It's not. We're here. We're we're here. I'm as busy today as I am the other day. I just I don't have to. I don't go down to the stadium and have to do all of the things down there. Instead, I'm just doing things in different places, and that's fine. We got some good stuff to bring you, but there's a lot to talk about. The Bengals are a hot topic, um, for a number of reasons. The number one being Joe Burrow, and uh, so we're gonna get all into that here. You came here for it. You knew we were gonna talk about it. So we've gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you everything we've got on that. Of course, we have a couple different stories up about what we've seen from Joe Burrow through the first week that have, um, shall we say, caught some national funnels uh, on the internet. Uh, but if you want to, you can subscribe. Of course, at the Athletic, we we still have limited time offer. Fifty percent off annual subscription deal is going on right now. So if you want to go in and read everything we have up, um, there's a ton of it there. Um, you can do that now. Plus, everything across our hundreds and hundreds of writers uh, across the country and in other countries. Um, so we're going to get into that. We have your questions. We got uh, thank you, everybody, that sent us a bunch of questions on Twitter. We're going to breeze through a bunch of those on a ton of different non-borough topics. As we'll cover that first. Jay, do you have a bar bet for me? I do. I, I, was, I was looking up some stats relative to Jamar Chase and um, – was quite surprised by the results and it, it, it kind of seemed familiar because of uh, T Higgins last year. It has to do with rookie wide receivers and in, in their first game. Um, but the results were so surprising that I, I don't think that, that I had these stats last year. I, I'm pretty sure they're new and I guarantee you, you can win a bar bet. Any of you can win a bar bet. Once I tell you this answer. Love that. We'll get to that um, once we get done talking about Joe Burrow. Uh, let's start here. Let's just dive right in. Um, so it hasn't been great uh, through the first week. Um, we've seen a couple of days, really Friday, Monday, and Tuesday. And a Saturday was the fan fest in the stadium, and it was okay. Um, I was I wasn't there uh, for that. Jay was, um, but for the most part, what we've seen is a defense that has dominated and a passing offense that has been 
really unable to do anything. And we've seen Joe Burrow not look super comfortably back there yet. And that, you know, the reporting of that, I think, sent people all into a tizzy, but we're just reporting what is going on. I mean, this is what's happening. And not saying that it's... We're, I don't. I, we have not. We we have not reached sound the alarm season. Okay, we kind of been hitting on that. We're still early. We've he's played one practice in full pads, um, and when we're one week in, but you know it, it hasn't looked great. And we're trying to be honest with you about that. I mean, on Tuesday he was five of twelve with a pick, and you know only one throw of more than 10 yards, completion of more than 10 yards. I mean, really, it was just everything downfield has been knocked down by a couple of defenders or just harmlessly kind of falling out of the way. You know, Jay, I mean, it just seems like it just hasn't been kind of what you you all and everybody came to expect from Joe Burrow over the course of the time that we've seen him. It hasn't, but there, I mean, there are mitigating circumstances, yeah. um, quite a few actually, uh, the first of which is in OTAs, they didn't do any 11s. He didn't face any defense. So he, he's he's behind in that regard. It, it was, you know, you, you would normally have a few more of these reps and work out some of the kinks in OTAs. So he's starting from scratch in that regard. The other thing, you the, maybe the most important, you brought this up. We were talking Monday or Tuesday, um, and then Zach, touched on it in his press conference yesterday and some people might roll their eyes and think it's an excuse but it it is legit that this is the install period he's not allowed to check out of plays whatever the play is it's called they're gonna run it um no matter what the look from the defense is and that's a big deal that is one of joe burrow's strengths you know recognition uh just like andy dalton that that pre-snap recognition knowing where to go with the ball that's not happening right now so we need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on he's not the same guy until they can start doing that. And then the third one is, you know, the, the practice that we most recently wrote about, Joe Burrow's most recent practice, he had four backup offensive linemen and Jonah Williams. And and the one before that, he had three backup linemen. Riley Reef practiced in that until very late, got dinged. But his his the two guards and Billy Price was at center, those are not the guys we don't think that are going to be the starters. So how much of it is the pressure? How much of it is the knee? How much of it is just getting used to to throwing again? There's there's just so many things that play into it. It is it's noticeable and it it needs to be reported. But it, it you're right. You're no one should be pushing the panic button yet. This is this is all part of the process. We're, we're still thirty some days from September twelfth. That's the finish line, not the first day of not the first day of camp. Jay, I have been blamed. Uh, on the internet for being responsible for national people uh, ripping on the Bengals. This is my fault, right? This is my fault because I wrote about what was happening and what was happening before my eyes, including in there that this no one's saying this isn't going to turn around soon. In fact, it's probably going to. But nobody cares about that. Nobody actually reads the whole thing. Everybody just took the screenshot of the burrow down explaining what had happened and saying that this is just what happened on Tuesday. This is where it is and, and turned it into 
Uh, we re relitigated Chase Sewell, uh, relitigated the entire front office. I mean, going everyone's calling him Carson Wentz. The Herbert people showed up. The Tua people are involved. What is happening? Like this is just about what happened over the last few days. It has been ugly. It has not been what you're used to seeing. That said, this is a guy coming off a ridiculously disgusting injury, a long rehab, having to stand in front of a rush for the first time since. Should he be comfortable? No. Brian Callahan told us before the season started at Mock Turtle Soup, this is going to be a process. It takes time to regain that comfort for anybody, specifically somebody coming off an injury. You want to create confidence in the knee it's probably gonna take the whole camp and preseason was what he was saying before we ever got started in this this is a process and we're seeing that we're seeing the rough early learning stages of that process this is not sound the alarm this is telling you it it, it, we get spoiled jay and this is my question for Zach Taylor yesterday, and one that I'm going to bring up to you in another interview here in a minute, was we get so spoiled by what Joe Burrow has been to this point. Joe Burrow has been the guy that blows every expectation out of the water. He's an adversity-overcoming robot, and he has come in, and no matter what has been in front of him, whether it was... No, oh, no offseason, nothing in person, no preseason, barely any practice with your with your teammates. Week one, yeah, by the end of it, he's leading a ridiculous two-minute drill that should have been the game-winning touchdown, if not for a PI uh, against A.J. Green. Oh, yeah, you want to, you know, second game, you want him to throw 63 times, you know, and keep you up, keep up with the Browns offense? That's ri- Oh, yeah, sure. No picks? No picks. Oh, yeah, by the mid-season of his rookie year with none of that off-season stuff, you want him to go a full month second in the league in points per drive with no rushing game to speak of along with it? Sure. Oh, you want him to get hurt and come back where in the off-season program he's out there where it's almost not a storyline? Come on, Attack that injury rehab to the point that he's so far ahead of schedule where we're not even hardly talking about the fact that he should be ready to go against Minnesota. You get so used to this. We laughed about how it wasn't a storyline almost. You get so used to that that the moment you see him be almost human, it's surprising, right? And I think we do you we do take that for granted because it's like you just expect him to be this robot. And I think what we have been exposed to is an important part of the process for him, which was going to be finding that comfort and that confidence in all of that. And that has happened before our eyes in real time, and we're watching it, and it hasn't been pretty. He, he has a long way to go in that regard. That's what we're reporting. It doesn't mean that over the course of the next 38 days, he won't get there. One more thing, I mean, that that great story from Bruce Feldman on him tweaking his throwing mechanics, you can do that all you want at a passing camp or a passing drill, but he hasn't done it in live situations. So there's that, too, that he's getting used to. He's getting used to the knees, getting used to the, the new mechanics, and maybe most significant of all, he's getting used to a defense that's playing really, really well. 
We, you can't discount how well those guys, the coverage has been. Um, it's just, there's, there's so much, it's so layered what's going on right now. It is not just Joe Burrow is not the same. Um, it, and, and like you said, you, you go back to Brian Cow. I almost kind of not scoffed at, but I, I was surprised by Brian's comments at mock turtle soup saying that it's going to take, you know, it's going to take five weeks for him to rebuild this confidence. It's like, it's Joe Burrow. He, he exudes confidence. That, that's what he's all about. Um, there's no way it's going to take off five weeks, but you know, these coaches know these players better than anyone else. And it is, it's, it's a process and it's, it's just something that, yeah, maybe, maybe what we're writing is, is getting to the, the national media and, and turning, turning that narrative into this, but it's, it's a blame them. It's a blame the media society right now. It, it, if you, you say something that people don't like, it's your fault. It's not what's happening's fault. I mean, I'm surprised that weathermen don't get blasted when they issue tornado warnings because people don't like tornadoes. It's just that that's just the, the, the society we're in now. People blame the media. It's, it's, it's not us. We're, we're just reporting what we see. And as I said earlier, pump the brakes. It's, it's early. And there's no reason to doubt Joe Burrow. He's overcome everything so far to this point at every level. Give it some time. Have you ever uh, seen the Nicolas Cage movie, The Weatherman? No, I haven't. No, there's a, there's a scene in it essentially where it's just like a montage of slow motion of people throwing things at him as the weatherman in the city. And, and, like it's, and he like bemoans when they throw the other big gulp at him. You know, <laughs> I felt like, like I felt like the internet was throwing their big gulps at me yesterday. Like, I, like I, I look, I'm just telling you, like this is just what I'm seeing. Okay, all right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Full disclosure here, this is, and I wanted to bring this out. I'm doing another story on the behind the scenes of Joe Burrow and Trey Hopkins rehab. Um, that's going to be out soon and keep that, you know, well, that's a story for in a conversation for another day. I'm really excited about it. Um, the people I've talked to have been very helpful and, and great about it. Um, during, I talked to director of rehab, Nick Cosgray on Thursday or excuse me, on Wednesday evening. And during that conversation, which most of it was about the course of their rehabs and and really the interesting things that happened there and 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 you know their 
the the pride in in where they how quickly they've gotten to where they've gotten we started discussing uh the challenges with a guy like Joe Burrow when there's so much attention on it and how that makes it different and when people like us in the media get involved and yesterday Tyler Boyd during his interview session said Joe's knee looks a little iffy and or clearly he feels a little iffy, but it's hard to tell. That was kind of the quote. He, he kind of glossed over it in passing. Like, sure, if, you know, you, you see moments where maybe he's a little iffy on his knee. It wasn't, um, I mean, it certainly made everybody want to tweet it, uh, but it wasn't um, some condemnation or whatever. But regardless, I, we were sort of talking about that, and this topic came up, and Nick said some really great things about what where expectations should be for Joe in this process right now. And I just want to bring those to you. Uh, so here is myself talking with Nick Cosgray as we end up in the topic of where Joe should be and how we should be viewing him and the, the perception um, that's happening from the outside. Here's, uh, here's Bengals director of rehab, Nick Cosgray. And then obviously the, you know, some of the – requests that come along when you're dealing with a guy you know oh hey can can we film this part of his rehab can we do this people are interested people want to know you Mm -hmm. know sometimes for guys like us like you know myself you know joe that's not we don't care right like yes (laughs) i I don't care that the people want to know how how joe's doing i understand that side of it but to me you know Joe and I, we know how he's doing, and he's making progress. And you know, it, I don't care that everybody needs to know what he's doing. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much you guys even would laugh about this, but I knew the moment they showed him on like a, a Twitter video, <clears throat> even just walking into the building. Yeah, it was like everyone's analyzing his like slow motion gait, it, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Can we just? <laughs> 100 percent paul sparling and i i mean we all talked about it and talked about it extensively with people here we cannot film and release everything that we're doing because there are twitter doctors and twitter therapists and everything (laughs) else out there that will sit there and crush us for what we're doing even though we're doing everything correctly yes everybody wants to overanalyze everything yeah you know I mean, I'm sure that I just somebody just came in and said there was a one of our players did an interview today and said something about Joe and I'm like, holy crap! Like it's all over, you know? Yes. Uh, he's not comfortable. Well, I mean, come on. Right. Who is comfortable when they're nine months coming back from an injury like he had? Nobody's comfortable yet. Yes. <laughs> it's a process. You get comfortable by doing it. So, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> but that, I just. I, I understand you guys all have to do a job and you write things down, but sometimes I just wish people wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's like, and this, there's a lot of like having to, 
I my, actually the question I asked Zach about this today, and I think it's relevant even to with you. It's like we get so used to seeing Joe like blow expectations out of the water. It's almost this like thing you take for granted. Like he showed up last year early on and was incredible, and then he was he's so good in the opener, and he's so he everything that's been put on his plate, and then where he's been at when we through the rehab, it's like he, it's like he's some adversity crushing robot, and then it's like so you become surprised when he's human like <laughs> you know it's like it's almost like you take it for granted here's the thing Paul is what what are we looking at now that's saying that he's not you know still exceeding expectations right right I mean the guy is back out there on the field after a a really significant injury um at you know prior to nine months and he's running around, he's cutting, he's throwing deep balls, he's throwing short balls, you know, he's, he's a NFL quarterback. Yeah. Right. At less than nine months after a significant injury. So, you know, I, I think everybody probably wants him to be completing every single pass, but you know, whatever. I mean, I think that the, he is he is where he needs to be at this stage of the game. Yeah. We have third how many weeks before the season starts and you know, I to me I watch him out there and I think he is is doing extremely well. Yeah. So you yeah. know, again I I understand that, you know what I look at from him doing extremely well is probably different than what, you know, the public and media Feel is doing well, not dominating our defense every day or whatever it is. Um, you know, throwing touchdown passes every time he throws a ball. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think you have to give give credit to what he is physically able to do right now from what he's come from nine plus nine months ago. Okay, so that was uh, Bengals director of rehab Nick Cosgrave. Again, I'm really excited to. Uh, tell a story uh sort of the background of the rehabs you can look for that coming up soon um but in regards to this as a sort of a side note of our conversation i thought this was great perspective you know he's like look i mean he's he's not he's not a coach out there he looks at it from a physical standpoint this is the next process of his rehab and we're watching it play out in real time and i thought it was funny I, he's like, I look at it. He still is the adversity overcoming robot out there right now. I mean, he's out there running and cutting and throwing deep and long and doing all those things. You do have to learn on the fly. And the only way it's like, it's the same respect of when you first start jogging on the knee. How does it look like the first day you start jogging on the knee or doing some form of slight cutting on the knee versus the seventh day you do some slight cutting on the knee or some jogging on the knee. It's different. You just, you, you get to that next level by doing, this is the final step of his process is overcoming the mental and getting used to being out there in the live bullets again and and finding that confidence. This is that final step. And, you know, I thought Nick had some pretty good perspective on that. Yeah. And it, well, it also goes down to basically every offensive football conversation ever where the, 
the quarterback gets too much credit and too much blame. And it's, it's not all these struggles that, that the offense is having in camp. It is not all Joe Burrow. There are guys dropping easy passes. There are guys, Jamar Chase, who are struggling to find separation against good and back of the roster DBs. There's there's so much more that goes into it, and it, it that it, it was really interesting of Nick to say that that yes, he performance wise, moving the ball wise, it's it's not looked like it should have, but physically, what he's doing, he he is so far ahead, and it. It, again, it just goes back to just 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 have the patience. It 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 will get there. You assume these guys are going to stop dropping these balls. They, they they don't have a history of it, and you assume that things are going to start. You know, Jamar Chase is going to get more comfortable with his routes, and and it it's going to start looking like it should. And for Joe Burrow to be we. We were like the first practice at OTAs. It was, it was so surprising to see how well he was moving that quickly. And then, like you said, it, it almost becomes a non-story because it's okay. He did it. It's over. That was so long ago. And, and, and you're still in that process of where he is building up to where he should be. Yes. They said the knee is a hundred percent healthy, but there's still so much more that goes into that. Um, I just I think that's a a great conversation you had with Nick, a great get there and um great perspective that I think all fans should take into account when they're reading our accounts of what's going on in practice. One more thing I I want to bring to you is a little bit from our uh interview with Zach Taylor yesterday and this was um him uh discussing sort of the comfort level and and his view of the passing game struggles uh and I spliced up a couple different things together the first couple questions of the press conference and the last couple um where at the end he tells us he's giving Joe Burrow the day off and explains why he did that and we're going to discuss whether that was right or wrong when we get back but I want you to hear his discussion of Burrow where the passing offense is at comfort level with the rush and then um you know the how he's handling Burrow at this moment. So here's Zach Taylor uh, from his Wednesday press conference on all things Burrow. Zach, is the pass rush bothering Joe at all? Do you think it's in his head at all at this point, or is he handling it pretty well? No, I, I think it's it's the whole unit right now. We're just getting a feel for each other. and um, You know, it's it's no you'd, you'd like to be throwing touchdowns in every play right now, but um, we got some progress to be made, but there's no – cause for panic uh, for any reason for that. So we still got 39 days before our first game, you know, so we got a lot of, lot of practices left to be had. So um, I'm excited because, because we know that we can continue to get better and be more detailed and, and that's going to come. Because we get so used to expecting so much of Joe. I mean, it's like, you feel like he always goes above the expectations. Is it unfair to expect somebody considering all he's going through with the rehab to show up day one and just be lighting it up? Would that have been an unfair expectation now kind of? You know, I, I try not to have those sorts of expectations, so people are entitled to do whatever they want to think coming into it. Um, but again, it's just it's our job to get certain guys ready for this first game and other guys ready for the first game of the regular season. You know, and so you know, you look at Joe and DJ and Trey, and really our process is to get them ready for Minnesota on September 12th. There's a lot of other guys we're trying to get ready for next Saturday whenever we play against Tampa Bay. So there's different tracks guys are on right now, and and I'm I'm encouraged from what I see from Joe and what I meet with Joe and. Um, again, we're going to complete more balls as we go forward. We all know that. So, in one on ones and seven on sevens, the offense is having good moments. Is there something yeah. that has to happen to translate that to eleven on eleven? Well, I mean, let's give credit to the defense right now. 
they're, they're, they're playing better than they have in the last three training camps I've been to, you know, and that's just the confidence that they're playing with, the chemistry that they've developed over a short time, the understanding of the principles that we're employing. Um, so you got to give credit to those guys. Those guys are making it hard on any offense right now. So, again, that's good for us because we're seeing – you're watching how sticky our DBs are. You know, it, it's hard to win right now against them because they're being competitive on short plays and down-the-field plays, and that's what I love to see as a head coach. So, um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting to watch our defense be able to play like that. How do you, how do you think Joe looks in the yeah, it, it, for all our quarterbacks, you know, it's just getting used to the pocket movement. We've been doing Skelly all spring, and, and you know, it's the first day in patch where guys are really coming off the ball and tightening up the pocket. So I only expect that to pre- improve going forward. Is there anything you've seen from Joe that's really, that's really like the looking for at this, at this stage? Yeah, I, I think I mean, he's got to. You can see the completion stuff, and that's a Um, I mean, Joe's, Joe's as expected. You know, we meet with him all day, and it's, he's got great retention on what we're looking for in plays, even if we're installing it for the first time since the spring last fall. And um, So, again, it's just those guys just getting work with each other and, and uh, you know, putting the pads on is a little bit different for all of our guys. So, um, again, Joe's been on schedule. You know, with, the, with that being said, I, I've said up here many times, it's my job as the head coach to protect these guys coming off of injury. And so this, we'll rest Joe today, you know, because we got this three-day burst next week. And so – Again, as we sit down and talk, is what do we want from each of our players? Um, we want certain guys ready for, for game one. We want other guys to feel great preseason game one. So we get a chance to work those other quarterbacks today and, and give him a day off so he can have a great three days next week. Was that planned? Just another move or two, please. For the Saints, before you guys started, you would do that with the combo with Dave's here? There wasn't an exact plan in place on how every guy was going to look. So, so we just want to adjust. So today, with the short yards go on emphasis, these backs are going to get a lot of work, you know, and so let's let's. It's a good time to give a quarterback off and let some of these other guys work and hand the ball off and see these backs run and a couple live reps here against those those defensive linemen and linebackers in that short yardage period. So again, just just balancing what the emphasis on practice is and keeping those guys fresh off of surgery, uh, you know, ready to go for next week. There's a bonus there, you know, for all those guys. And, um, you know, one thing from Joe is he just wants to practice. He wants every rep he can get. And so if you ever leave it up to him, you're not, you're not going to get, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's my job to make sure I manage all those guys. And we've done that with Trey Hopkins. You know, Trey Hopkins wasn't in team yesterday. He'll be back in team today. Same thing for DJ Leader. We've really done a good job of managing him as well. So, again, we just we want to make these guys um, – Feeling great for next week and, and ready for week one against Minnesota. How did Joe handle it? Great. I mean, he, he wants the reps. He, he wants to be in there with the guys, continuing to, to gain chemistry with these receivers. Um, so it's not something he wants to do, but he's not the head coach, so he doesn't get to make that decision. Uh, all right. So there's, I tell you, know, the decision to give Burrow the day off. I liked it. I, I You know, I, I think that's the right move. I think, well, first of all, there's a number of different things at play here, and he mentions a bunch of them. But, you know, you have the day off already coming on Thursday. We knew before any of camp started they were going to sneak in some rehab off-type days uh, in for him. That I mean, we had a, we did a run-passer boot on how many there would be uh, a couple, I think, a week ago. And so it's like we knew these were coming. And was this one set as when they would do it? I don't know. I don't, I don't think they had he, – he says he doesn't really have a specific plan with that. Um, probably not, but then, but when it's going the way it's going and you have a day that's going to be a lot, and it was a lot of just hard run game stuff in short yardage, 
why not use that as a chance to you get two days in a row, a chance for Burrow to just get out of them. I mean, the, he's been frustrated. You know, I mean, we've seen it, we've documented it. You know, he's he threw the interception to Jermaine Pratt um, or on Monday. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know. He, before that, he was like tossing the ball out of bounds in frustration. He chucked one into the ground when a free runner came through. He, you know, and he throws the interception, and and you can just you and you can just you can sense it. You know, Ricardo Allen actually talked to us yesterday and talked about how he loves that how Mad Burrow's getting over it. Like it, he's like that's the stuff that the great ones have is you know it's pissing them off, and you know that they're gonna how how much it matters and. You know, you can you can see that. And it's like, you know what? Take a break. Back away. It's early in the process. Focus on your rehab. Get, do that for a couple of days. Come back fresh for the three-day burst because uh, that's what NFL schedules are. They It's how they run when you get prepared every week. It's a three-day practice burst, and then you play. I like it. I I thought it was a a, a good move. I I think it was needed. There you know that there was no need to go out there and push it when he was kind of obviously struggling to the point that he was. Yeah, I thought it was a no brainer. I was kind of surprised that 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 Zach was as honest as he was about you know not necessarily say he could have easily said this was planned and everyone would have taken him at his word I, when when he first said that that he was going to work in some off days and i wrote about that I, I specifically mentioned well the perfect time for that would be a goal line short yardage day you don't need joe burrow in there for those plays and then for that to back up or to front end a off day it just made all the sense in the world um you know maybe he's just reluctant to say it was planned it doesn't sound like that's the case it sounds like this it was just kind of a feel thing but it it made perfect sense the timing was ideal to 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 have this situation now you get one day in pads we saw it we've we saw a little bit of it saturday for the in the stadium thing they gave him the morning walkthrough off and he looked much better i mean if you look at friday monday tuesday those practices were so bad he actually looked fairly decent in that in that it didn't he wasn't great saturday in the, in the stadium but it looked a lot different than what we've seen in these other practices so Just that little bit of a break there, I think, played into that. So now you give him two full days off. It's going to be really interesting to see what he and what this offense look like as they get away from the strict installment portion of camp and can start kind of playing to a little more of his strengths. And, you know, maybe his receivers can actually get some separation. (laughs) You know, we just haven't seen much of that. They've been they have been blanketed, all of them and and. You know, here's the thing, and I'll end. I'll end the conversation with this, and it's 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 something I tweeted yesterday. <clears throat> if you'd have asked me before the season, what is one thing that you will place your biggest bet on with this team, you would say that Burrow, Higgins, Chase, and Boyd will be just fine, and I still feel that way. I, 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 this hasn't changed anything. I mean, if you're, are we going to go through a season where all of a sudden those three guys can't get separation when that's all they've done their whole life? When Higgins did it on this level last year, when Boyd's done it for five, six years now, where Chase was, you know, one of the most dominant receivers you've ever seen in college football, all of a sudden they're going to come up here and not be able to get open. There's just a lot going on, and, and that will come. I also, you know, and, and I, we're going to get into the receivers a little bit more down the line, but I just I just think overall, and that was sort of Zach Taylor's end point 
yesterday was uh, this is not keeping me up at night. Uh, those I know that's going to come like that. There's just those guys are they care about it too much. They're they're too good. They're too talented for that to to not come along. Um, and, and I and I think that's true. I do. And they're not going to see nonstop press man. It, it, once you get into the games, there it's just you can't play that. You can play that way in short bursts in practice, but you can't play that way for a whole game if you're on defense. It's just it is. It's I don't want to say it's apples and oranges practice in, in real game situation, but it's it is different and it it's just there's there's concern is legitimate, but but panic button is not. Just stay the course, Bengals fans. That's important. It it is concern. Uh, keeping our eye on it, we're going to keep it under the microscope. It's a storyline. It's obviously insanely important, but it's about us monitoring the progress and the process. Um, it's not about ringing the alarm. And I know that the anger from people throwing big gulps at me <laughs> is about that the nuance is lost. When it gets funneled up into the nationals, I cannot control people's inability to read and people's inability to understand there's more to a story uh, than that. And I can't control Twitter doing what it does. You will never will. It is going to be a very angry cesspool all the time. Okay. Like that's. What it is, and guess what? National media is going to continue to talk about this organization like this at every turn possible until they win some damn games because that's what they do. That's what they have always done to not just the Bengals, though they're the easiest one, but any team when they continually stink is beat the dead horse and take the shots and be the butts of jokes. That's how this show operates unfortunately but that's what it is so Bengals fans shouldn't need to be told this but you need thick skin to be following this team (laughs) so so you might want to find it and understand that you know the truth and that like you know like Nick Cosgrave said that Joe and Nick know the truth and nobody else needs to know what's really going on as long as everybody's comfortable and I think everybody in the building is comfortable with what's going on my mind just drifted off to the next time we do a live podcast we need a card. Someone's going to throw a big goal. Yes. We need a contest. We need to have a cutout, a cardboard cutout of you and people throwing big gulps at it. And we can get it on video. And whoever hits you squarely in the face wins a, maybe wins a one month subscription or something like that. This feels unnecessary. Just Why don't throw big gulps at Paul. Why you want people to throw bridge? things at me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Jay, let's, let's get some people some bar bets and then we'll answer some questions. Okay. What do you got? You have you have some you've got some receiver stats, which will lead us right into our first Twitter question. By the way, which I'm be a nice segue. So I was I was wondering, you know, who, which Bengals receiver or player has had the best debut game in terms of catches and yards, receiving yards. Um, Jermaine Gresham, six catches. That's the most of any Bengal player in his first NFL game that's now you're not gonna want a bar bet with that you might you probably I mean there's a good chance of that but it, it, that's not super surprising uh Kajana Carter Tyler Eifert Jordan Shipley with five each uh when when you get to the receiving yards 
most in a Bengals debut, that's where you win your bar bet. Not A.J. Green. He had 41. Every member's one catch for 41 yards and a touchdown in his debut game. Uh, Chad Johnson didn't catch a single pass in his NFL debut. It was Jordan Shipley in 2010. 82 yards. That's the, the record for receiving yards by a Bengal in his NFL debut. Second on that list is Peter Warwick with 80. And then it's, I mean, for if Jamar Chase wants to beat these records or get into at least the top five on these lists, it's pretty easy. I mean, you Collinsworth, 65, Eddie Brown, 58, Darnay Scott, 50. I, I would think if, if, if the, and well, there will be, if there's an over under on how many yards Jamar Chase has in his first game, I would think it would be in the 60 range if you're setting a line. So I just, that stunned me that Jordan Shipley's had the most receiving yard. Now that was 2010. That was a really bad year, but they still had Ter- Terrell Owens or Terrell Owens. They still had, they had Chad that year. And Jordan Shipley somehow came up with 82 in his debut. Um, only four players have ever caught a touchdown pass in their in their NFL debut for the Bengals. And that was Gresham, Darnay Scott, AJ, as I mentioned before, and Ron Dugans. Uh, Wade Russell did it, but he was one of those replacement scabs in 1987. <laughs> Wade Russell drop. Wow. Yes. If you if uh, you are curious, real quickly, the the record, if you want to get super pie in the sky, the record for most receiving yards in an NFL debut by anybody, Anquan Bolden, 217. That's 217 in his first that's game. That's pretty amazing. Lewis Lip, second hey, on that. I've heard people make Anquan Bolden comps about Jamar Chase. Hey, there you go. Uh, so perhaps uh per you know, a faster Anquan Bolden, I think, is like one of those draft comps that you get. Um well, there you go. Jordan Shipley, by the way, is one of the people forget how good he was as a rookie and how much the arrow was pointing up on him after that really a really, really good rookie year. And then he had that catastrophic knee injury and that was really it. I mean, he just never really recovered from that. And it's it's hard not to wonder, you know, if where science is now 10 years later, if he if they would have been able to get him back to the being the same guy he was as opposed to where it was now. And because, you know. That's what that's what happened. Uh, but I, Jordan Shipley, man, he was uh, he was a hell of a rookie. So there's the list. There's the list. We've got it. So go win your bar bets and drop some more Wade Russell knowledge on people. <laughs> All right, let's just take a quick break. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's blow through some of these Twitter questions because yep. there are a bunch of them. So let's, um, we're going to start with those receivers. Um, the first question comes from, let's see, Hoinky, Hoinky Dory, <laughs> uh, at Hoinky Dory, um, looking strictly at good, bad plays from our top three wide receivers this past week. Who would you run, pass, or boot? Higgins, Boyd, Chase. Um, what do you got, Jay? Um, I think I would run with Higgins because he's made some wow ones. Tyler Boyd just he just is solid. He neither one of them have, have had the drop issues. They have dropped balls, uh, but not like Chase. Um, and I think Higgins has made a few more spa- splash plays. So I, I would run with Higgins, pass on Boyd, and I would boot Chase. He's just the drops, the lack of separation. Um, he's 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 got a ways to go still at this point. He made one play on Wednesday. It was a deep ball that he kind of went up in traffic and came down with it. That was kind of some vintage stuff that you've seen. But he also, for the second straight day, had a drop on the first play of 11s on an on a easy slant in. I mean, we we have seen a lot of drops from him, and I don't know if that will continue, if that's just part of a – I go back to how – I'm not going to say unimpressed, but how – unremarkable T Higgins was early last year. Now he had a hamstring, but all of camp, it was like, Ugh, this guy, I mean, what are we, and, and even into the early part of the regular season. Right. And then all of a sudden he comes on. I think that's standard for some rookies. I mean, I think you get spoiled when you look around and you see the Justin Jeffersons of the world that just take over early uh, or Anquan Bolden with two seventeen. But you know, again, I think there's a there's a learning curve certainly with Jamar Chase there that he's battling through and everyone's kind of referenced it. Anytime you ask anybody about it, it's you just got to stay in the books, stay knowing the playbooks, and 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 getting himself to a level where he's playing on instinct out there and not having to think about what he's doing. Because when you're thinking about what you're doing, you drop balls, you run the wrong route. Things like that, and so that's that's part of being a rookie receiver that takes time, and part of why people love sophomore receivers as breakout candidates like T. Higgins this year and what he can be. I I would actually run with Boyd. I, I think, you know, I think he's been he he's he's been solid enough, and I I think you could go either way on those two. But yeah, I definitely think Chase has been the one that you're sort of waiting for him to get through these 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 rookie growing pains. Um, all right, question number two comes from uh, our guy, a good friend of the program, Brian, from at Bryanson Bengals. He said, I'm interested in your and Jay's take on Adam Shine's 
Bengals flu comment about AJ Green, which was followed by Dave Lapham's joke to Lou Anarumo about classifying, quote, loafs as Dunlaps. Are agents advising disgruntled players to give half assed effort to get off this team? And a conversation followed on Twitter. And he said, talking about Gino, he said, it's impossible to tell with him from the outside because Gino wouldn't talk to the media. I, I absolutely think the non-vocal stars and passive-aggressive social media BS from Dunlap contributed to the fractured locker room. Um, let me the the Adam Shine Bengals. I actually wasn't familiar with it, but Brian sent me. It was a tweet essentially claiming that he, uh, Peter Schrager must have been at Cardinals camp saying that AJ looks great. And Shine sort of made some comment about, well, he had the Bengals flu the last couple of years. Again, this is – and Shine's actually said very nice things about the Bengals. But this is the type of thing that you get from national folks. And I think this was a symptom of regime change. This this was absolutely real. I mean, I this is documented. I have written it. Over and over, we have talked about it both with AJ and Carlos about their frustrations with the new direction here. And we talked about what happened with AJ Green when he didn't get traded uh, in 2019 and the fact that he didn't play the rest of that year with you know contracts hanging over his head. We talked about that so much, and there's no reason to relitigate it. Um, and his frustrations last year with how he was being used. He's been vocal about that. Carlos <laughs> never made any bones about, I mean, he was pretty clear, right? I'm doing whatever I got to do to get out of here. Yeah. If that means posting the rotations on Instagram. If that means selling my house, I'm saying I'm going to sell my house after a game. It was nuclear method. Okay. And people were forced to take sides. That was part of it. And, Jay, we heard Von Bell talk about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said last year there was finger pointing. You ha- People felt like they had to take sides. And this was part of why there was a hope for the reset of the culture this year was all that old stuff, all the people who were the names and the voices of the locker room and the respected people in the locker room have been cleared out because you can't have those two sides going against each other. You need everybody that is that is here and is with it and has been brought in here together without wondering, well, should I lead? Geno's here. I mean, that dude might be in the Hall of Fame, right? You can't have that hesitancy. And when those guys were there, and particularly when there was disc- disgruntled, that does cause finger-pointing, division, all that crap that went on. So, I, I yeah, I think that's that's real. I still don't think A.J. Green is himself and maybe he's found it in Arizona. I hope he does, but you know, I, I think, yeah, I do think that stuff is, 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 is real in some respect. Yeah. Well, 2019 AJ, that was a business decision and he could have come back and, and he didn't, he saw number, like you said, wasn't super thrilled with the, the new direction, saw how bad the team was. Um, I, I think the ankle he could have played on, but he just he just decided that he was not going to play the rest of that year. Last year, I feel like it was a little different. He knew in 2019, if not for certain, he had a pretty good idea the Bengals were going to tag him. He's going to get that $18 million. Last year, 
he was playing for a contract. I don't think he was dogging it. He, now, he may not have been super thrilled with the direction, and he may have not been mentally bought in, but I don't think his performance last year was was related to effort. I, I think it was related to age. I mean, we saw how mad he got in that Baltimore game in what week five when he wasn't getting the ball. He he wanted the ball. He wanted the stats. He wanted to to play for a big contract this year. And yeah, he's made tons of money. He doesn't need the money, but it's still a pride thing with these guys. He wanted to get as much money this year as he could. So I don't think he was out there necessarily, you know, doing the Bengal flu thing. I, I just think it it was a product that he wasn't getting separation. He was getting older. Maybe there were some lingering health issues, but I don't think that was the case. And I certainly don't think agents are in these guys' ears. I think Carlos, AJ, I, I, they're grown men. They, they made these decisions on their own. I don't think it was agents saying, hey, go out and do this. I mean, Carlos has never really had a, a reputation as a, a bust-your-butt kind of guy in practice or in games, and the frustration just boiled over when, when he got knocked down the depth chart. So... Different situations, those two. I, I I think AJ was – I think the effort was there last year, just the production wasn't. Yeah, I would agree. I don't I don't think it was a matter of, of AJ ever dogging it when he was out there. I think he wanted to feel like if he's out there, he can – he'll absolutely go all the way and know he can go all the way and not feel limited by worrying about injury or worrying about business or any of that stuff. And so I think, I think that was part of it, you know, and – I mean, Drew Rosenhaus does have a bit of a history of certain players finding using the nuclear method, and I think he's willing to put that out there: is you can do this, right? Uh, I'm not saying that that still. You're right; they are grown men, and they make that decision. They all know they can do that. You know, I mean, I think that's always out there. But uh, that's the past. Let's focus on the future. Okay, next question comes from. Governor Chief at Governor Chief. Who are the RB's offensive and defensive players of the camp so far? Uh, and he has a side question. If you could add any player on the Bengals to be on your team for a wing eating contest, who would it be? I don't think that's going to be a hard decision, but uh, who's your RB's offensive and defensive <laughs> players? Of the week? Who's the, who's this week's meat mountain Jay? It, I mean, it's tough on offense. We, we've documented how bad it's been. I, I I guess I would say Joe Mixon. He's just looked really good, and it's there. He's not getting tackled. To, he's not going to the ground. There, there's only been two practices in pads, but just kind of by default, none of the receivers have looked great. Um, the tight ends are what they are. The o, nobody on the O line is going to be up for that award, and certainly Joe Burrow is not going to be up for that award. So. I, I would go mixing on offense. Defense is a little tougher. Um, Trey Wayne's looked good before he, he had the, this little hamstring tweak. Um, I I think maybe I would go with Chidobe Awuzier there. Uh, he has been in yeah. this league for a while, but nobody really kind of viewed him as a as a lockdown corner, a number one corner, and he's he's looked the part. He has he has played really really well, uh, no matter who he's covering in camp. And maybe a slight second would be Von Bell because he was awful last year in coverage and he has looked really good playing man coverage this year. And he talked about it, how he went back and watched those games when he got roasted by Mark Andrews and Evan Ingram and uh, really kind of dedicated him this, dedicated itself this offseason to getting better in man coverage. And 
you can see that improvement early on in camp. Trey Hendrickson um, has been really good. I mean, he has just been disrupting everything. He had the interception uh, where he dropped back into coverage and kind of dropped that little, uh, oh, where'd that guy come (laughs) from and and made the play, you know, and – but he has been in the backfield consistently. He's bro- He's been good against the run. You've seen him, you know, uh, hold the edge nice, extend out and make plays out there. Hubbard has as well. I think both of them. Um, little, you know, I guess caveats when you're talking about some of the guys they've been going against. But Henderson spent a lot of time going against Jonah Williams too and, and had his fair share of dubs. Um, another guy who uh, there's a question coming about later. I would throw Marcus Bailey in that conversation, yeah. who's had some really nice moments um, and really spent a lot of time around the ball. And he's spent a lot of his time out there um, with the second and third string guys. Uh, but we'll get to him again a little bit more later. But those are, along with Chido Bay, uh, um, I would I would throw those names out there. I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of different guys on defense you could talk about that have really been impressive. Um, okay, next question. What about the wings? Oh, I mean Tyler yeah, Shelvin. No, right? I, mean, I mean just on sheer volume. There's there's more room. Yeah, to, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what his I, mental makeup is yeah. to fight through the fatigue of of stuffing yourself. There there's plenty of room there for him to put a few away. Yeah, I feel like he's been in a wing eating contest or two, <laughs> maybe right? by himself. Uh, <laughs> all right, this one from DB one two three or at nine underscore eleven did Bush. Uh, who's winning the kicking battle? Uh, Evan McPherson. Did they kick yesterday? I'm sorry, I wasn't there at practice yeah, yesterday. Yeah, uh, but... yeah. Cybert, Cybert missed one okay. yesterday. Um, so I mean, McPherson has continued. He's really got the one miss from sixty. Right? I mean, that's uh, all we've seen thus far was on Saturday. He wasn't able to hit from sixty, but he's been money everywhere else. Um, McPherson, you know, we said it was going to take him really falling apart this camp to not win. And at this point, all signs continue to be good for him. Uh, but it will come down to the preseason. I mean, he's still got to go out there and make a bunch of kicks when the game start. And so that'll be the, the next big part of this. But he is on a nice pace and certainly a pretty um, dramatic leader in the clubhouse when it comes to that. Um, uh, this one from at Flava DeVee. With the improvements we've made on the defense this offseason and the previous one, which AFC North opponent are we better equipped to defend against? Who are they better equipped to defend against in the North, Jay? Who would you would you go with? Um, I would say the Browns with, with the receivers they have and the improvements the, the Bengals have in the secondary. Um, I don't know if you're ever prepared to deal with, with – Lamar Jackson and what he brings. Um, that, that's a lot of that is on the linebackers and they, they didn't make any additions in the linebacker room. That doesn't mean that these guys haven't gotten better, but I, I think if you're looking at what the Bengals did in the off season, I think they've positioned themselves better to deal with, with the Browns. The, the Steelers are supposedly going to run the ball more this year. I, I still think there's a big question on what the interior of that D-line is, how effective they're going to be. It is more about the pass rush. They, they have a lot of big bodies in there, so maybe the Browns would, or the, the Steelers would be second on that list um, with, with all the, 
the huge guys like Reader and Shelvin and Rennell Wren, those guys that Tupo that they can stick in the middle of the line. But I, I would go for sure Browns just with all the receivers they have and, and how much better we expect this, this secondary, particularly the cornerbacks, to be this year. Yeah, I would also say the Browns. I, I agree. I think the coverage is better. And when you have that and you're trying to cover all those guys they got over there from Landry and Beckham and, and everybody else, um, you know, that's who they are. That's really the, the going to be the gist of what they do. Obviously, they have Nick Chubb, but that's also where you feel like you have improved with adding more run stoppers mm-hmm. um, there as well. So, I, you know, I, I think that's – it's probably the Browns because, you know – the Steelers, the Ravens are just so – I don't know that they're better equipped to handle the Ravens because it's not really about cover or even big guys, right? You you're, you know, with the Ravens, it's about tracking Lamar Jackson, and, and they're kind of the same there. I'm, I'm with you. And, and Pittsburgh, maybe maybe they're better to stop Pittsburgh just because Pittsburgh's not going to be as good. I think Pittsburgh's offensive line is going to struggle, and uh, that's going to be a big part of their storyline this year. But – um, yeah, I think the Browns is the answer to that question. Uh, next, uh, from he calls himself Joey Freshwater, which I like that nickname. But uh, Sporp sh- Sporps shouting <laughs> at Sporps shouting. Uh, secondary making plays, D line getting the better of the play early on. How are the linebackers looking? Anyone maybe surprising in that room? Here's Marcus Bailey. So I've been really impressed with him. And his story is interesting in that, I mean, Jay, you you talked a lot about him, how you had high expectations for him last year once he got over the injury. And it it was going to take time. He's had significant injuries. But here he is. He looks over it. I mean, he got a touch of playing time at the end of last year. Um, But he keeps getting his hand on the football. You know, he tipped it. He had an interception basically that he caused – um, whatever day it was earlier this week where he tips the ball up into the air and Ricardo Allen picks it off. Um, he had a strip. He had another play where he kind of got something that got turned into an interception. I just think that was sort of his reputation at Purdue, and it's showing itself now, and I think it makes him one of the most interesting watches for the preseason this year. That's what I was just going to say. Circle August 14th. I, there may not be a guy on this roster that was more impacted by the, the lack of a preseason last year than Marcus Bailey. You just you, you didn't get to see any of those rookies last year, what they could do in these games. And, and he, he started from behind. I, I've been high on him. I almost In my, my piece earlier this week, I almost made him one of the, the five risers. Uh, but I wanted to give it another week and see if he, if he continued it, and he has. Um, I'm, he is, if, if I'm jotting down players, I'm most interested in watching it in that game a week from Saturday against Tampa Bay. He's right at the top of that list. Uh, next question from Kyle Grosser at K Grosser after the first wave of cuts. Do you think the Bengals add offensive line depth? Asked about this yesterday uh, to Zach Taylor and kind of got a lot of the same. We're always looking to improve, but then there was sort of a look, we, Riley's fine. He's going to be fine. Jonah's still out there. He's fine. Fred Johnson is going to be fine. He's a little bit further off than some of those other guys, but you know, I don't think they they think he's not going to be there. And then it was trotted out that in, we feel like we've seen Isaiah Prince hold himself up pretty well. I, I don't know about playing the Isaiah Prince card, but fair enough. 
look, they, they should have addressed this a long time ago. This should have been something they were been looking to do. Um, I think they'll have their eyes open to adding another tackle, uh, somebody that can maybe give them some veteran presence once it gets closer. But to me, that wouldn't be after first cuts. That would be after last cuts. I think is where now, unless an injury happens, then that would they would feel maybe more motivated to have to go do something. Something serious happens to Jonah or Riley. But I think for now they have Fred Johnson, and they feel like you know, it, see what happens after last cuts and what ends up out there veteran wise in, in that market. Which it's you know, it ain't going to be pretty. Somebody great ain't going to show up. There's not just not enough good tackles in this league to think that one's just going to show up. But you, maybe you can get somebody that you feel like can get you through. Uh, you know, a few weeks in case something catastrophic were to happen. Yeah, I mean, the the, the options weren't even really there in free agency unless you were going to go huge, and, and which they were never going to do, and spend a ton of money on a couple of the top end guys. It's just a position that is declining. There there aren't a lot of options out there, no matter what time of year it is, and there, no one's going to trade an offensive lineman. And I, I don't know. I even with final cuts, I, I don't know that you're going to see anybody out there that's going to be a vast improvement over what they already have, which is a pretty low bar. Yeah. Uh, this one from George K. Uh, technically George K. <laughs> <laughs> is that four wise? Uh, Billy Price, how's he looked? Is it a make or break year for him? Is he at least looked like an NFL player in training camp? He had a couple bad reps yesterday in one-on-ones. Um, uh, kind of got knocked on his butt by Khalil McKenzie, um, which isn't a great look. But you know, he's been he's been okay. He hasn't been super noticeable. Um, but again, we're two days of guys in pads, so I think he's been fine. And you know, the question with Trey Hopkins, I mean, Trey Hopkins is on pace to be back, and he they've been working him in and out sort of in the same way that the discussion happened you heard there with about Burrow or they're giving Hopkins a day off here and there. They're, they're easing him in to the beginning of camp coming off his ACL, but all expectations are he'll be out there and able to go full game week one uh, against the Vikings. So, you know, Price will be your backup. And I, you know, I, it, it's really hard to make people always want to ask this and I totally understand it. You know, how is this person, how's X looked? Well, you're talking about offensive linemen, you're literally talking about two days, and it's it's hard to really make real judgments on that. Um, so he's had some bad reps, but you know, honestly, they've all kind of had bad reps. And <laughs> so I don't know if that makes anybody feel better or totally worse. But and it, I mean, they I, they are comfortable. I mean, Frank Pollock being here, he was largely responsible for bringing Billy here in the first place. They drafted Trey Hill, but they're working him more at guard. Keaton Sutherland has been the the one snapping when it hasn't been Billy. Um, I, I think they're they're prepared for Billy to be the backup center this year. If, if anything happens to Trey, it's it's maybe not an ideal situation to throw him in, but that's the way they're going to go if, if something does happen where Trey's either not ready or something happens in season. 
Uh, last one from Riley Abel. How's the Evans, P. Ryan, Travion, and Puka battle shaping up? First of all, Puka's kind of more into the receiver category at this point. Um, he's sort of a hybrid mix, so I, I wouldn't totally really – I wouldn't lump him in with these guys, and I really wouldn't lump Samaje in. He is Joe Mixon's backup. He's the other big body back. Um, this is uh, more about Evans and Travion. And I mean, you can put P. Ryan in there as a potential, but I mean, I think you're talking about uh, the third down back situation that's open that Geo vacated. And so, I, Chris Evans looks good, man. Like we've seen him make some plays where you really are seeing why they like him out of the backfield. He is he really is a nice receiver. He really has natural hands. He seems to be holding up okay in pass pro, but we've only seen a few drills of that thus far. That's really what I'm watching with him. I think I've seen enough and heard enough about him catching the ball. They love him that way. Um and he's great, you know, when you're go sending all out for Burrow to to run that that type of offense that he likes. But I'm really interested in what he looks like in pass pro, and that's been okay thus far. It hasn't stuck out as a disaster or anything like that. And Travion's had some moments too. He's had some really nice pass pro reps, and he's had some nice runs. So I, I don't know, Jay. What do you think? Do you do you view it that same I way? I do. I, I mean, he has stood out to me in the run game, but that's not what they need from that position. It is. It's going to be the third down back. It's going to be more about the hands. I don't know that they trust Travion's hands. He's. We've seen him in practices and and. He, he just he doesn't have great hands. He's he's he can be electric with the ball. He's super quick, but if you're looking for that third down back, I mean Chris Evans catches the ball like he's a wide receiver. He's got he just looks so smooth and and so sure-handed. I think that's what's going to ultimately give him the edge. But um, I, I expect Travion to be on the practice squad. And if anything were to happen, to one of those three guys, it wouldn't be a disaster to have to stick him in there at some point this year. And they could keep four yeah. running backs. I don't know that that's likely, but I I don't think it's out of totally out of the question. All right, well let's wrap let's wrap it up here. Um, we of course will be back on early next week. I think Monday, and um, we we will have more from you on this latest three day bursts. We're we're, we're working in three day bursts too, right, Jay? Uh, so we'll have the latest on you on that, and, and continue to monitor what's happening with Joe Burrow. Of course, you can continue to read all of our stuff at the Athletic, plus everything. Justin Williams killing it as UC starts up their football season, and Trent with all things Reds as they bear down and try to catch the Padres and the Brewers, and all, all the insights. Great this time of year to read all the inside stuff from other places across the league, and and track what's going on, including the AFC North. It should be a whip around in our near future. I'd imagine uh as we, we get back into that that time of year we should maybe. yes we'll after see. the first preseason game would yeah. be the ideal time although it would be the second preseason game for the Steelers who kick things off tonight but yes yeah football this evening technically uh so anyway thanks everybody for listening to uh hear that podcast ground and uh we'll talk to you next time have a good one everybody